Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to the first episode of Snap No Tap. I'm Joe Cardinal. I'm Tony Cicchini. Nico Indovino. How are you guys doing? Good, Good how are you guys? Crazy, crazy with this COVID, huh? It's uh, Chicago may be rolling back again. Um, if things don't, it's looking like it's starting to spike up again. And that kind of affects things, you know, it's a difficult time. Well, it's crazy for my work because um, now, like, if you travel to some of these states where it's spiking, if you come back, now you can't come into work they, because of the quarantine in the city, the way it works. So I think there's like only a handful of states that you can travel to now, but it's really, you know, like I'm trying to plan going somewhere in a couple of weeks and I have to make sure I avoid going through any of these states now that where it's spiking and that could change week to week, depending on how these things. So it's, you know, it, yeah, it really just shuts everything down besides the fact that it's obviously, you know, a health crisis, even if you're doing okay, it just completely locks down your life, you know. Both so, in and out how, of how do they know if you've been out of state, though? Well, you could you could lie, I guess. You know, like I could say, you know, they don't they don't know, but they kind of want you to self-report. They're like, if you've been in these states or done these activities, please report in, and we we'd want you to quarantine for fourteen days or whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean, it is kind of like an honor system on it. You know, a lot of it is they have us like. So I work in healthcare, so like we go in and. There's actually an online form. I have to say, well, I don't have a fever. You know, I, I don't have any of these symptoms, blah, blah, blah. But so there's some kind of a trusting mechanism there. Uh, but obviously, you don't want to bring it into like, you know, hospital environment or anything if you can't avoid it. So, yeah. but yeah, you're right. You could, could kind of game the system. But well, you're not going to game it if you flew in on an airplane. So they're going to know that you just flew in from wherever, yeah. you know. But, um, I read today that some, they didn't allow, well, I didn't read it all the way, but some Southern suburbs of Cook County are also enacting the um, quarantine. So it's, it's more than just Chicago. Now it's going to be quarantining because it's, they got to try to get a handle on it. Um, yeah. And it's kind of interesting. One of my theories, and I think you, you and I, we, we discussed this before. And my theory was, even if we get the all clear, uh, a lot of people just are no longer going to ever train again. And so yeah. Wednesday, I went to see a buddy of mine. His name is Adam, who's a phenomenal pool player. We used to play pool all the time. And he was a big league pool player, played on a lot of leagues, traveling leagues. And at one point, you know, I live a little too far. He wanted me on his team, but it was an impractical thing. So I just asked him, hey, shoot any pool? He says, nope, haven't picked up a cue. And I have no desire to now. He says, I'm, I'm finally done with the leagues. He says, this last three, four months of inactivity has shown me that there's more to life than shooting pool. He said, I got a lot of stuff done around my yard, around my house. I'm spending more time with my wife, my dogs. Uh, and that pretty much confirmed one of my uh, things. And I think I shared that with you guys, that when people can't work out, they're going to find other things to do. They get out of the habit of it. And then he realized, yeah, I, hey, man, I, I don't have to do this. I, I could still have a good time in life without doing it. I think the difference, right. though, is that, like, in some ways, training is, in my view, is, is kind of a need. Like, you know, you don't need to shoot pool. You like shooting pool. You enjoy it. But, you, but like, at least my perspective is that it's, you need some form of workout. You need to stay in shape. You know, that's just part yeah, of health. And, you, you, you do need to move your body, but you don't need to go to a gym. 
you know, if it's if it's that much risk, you could go outside, go for a run, and do some push-ups. You know, and that's that's kind of where I, where I stand. I don't need to risk myself to go lift weights. I, I go do some pull-ups and go for a jog. It's no big deal. Well, I I agree, but that's why on my um that podcast I did last week, I was telling the gentleman that interviewed me. I have been doing this distance learning for, you know, offering that program in instructorship for 12, 13 years. And really people need to jump on that. My tri C program and start training that because you can do that with what Nico's saying. You could train from your house, you know, via video with me and not risk anything. You know, you're not going to be risking. A, I mean, if you want to get a training partner that you trust, you know, that's great. But yeah. Um, it's it's just like my gym started uh, the uh, Planet Fitness started to take um, membership dues again, but I refused to go because in the area that I live, this is all deniers around here that they all think it's a hoax, and the gym was never the cleanest to begin with. So I just don't feel you know that it's going to be prudent. Of course, I I get up early. I could certainly go to the gym three four o'clock in the morning, but at this point in time, I just don't feel like doing it yet. Um, you know, especially if things get rolled back and they close the gym statewide again, uh, you know, so it's just a wait and see attitude with me, but it's definitely, I, I, I've been talking to some business owners in Chicago and, uh, a lot of places that, you know, didn't even make it from the, the ones that made it through the first shutdown. They may not make it through this second shutdown if there's another one. No. no. Um, there's no way. It's Well, look what's happening in California. You know, they closed a lot of places up again in Florida and all this. Um, you know, while people were complaining here, well, I know, Nico, you live in Indiana, but people were complaining yeah. here in Illinois why we were shut down. But, hey, we're open now when other states are not because, you know, they didn't take it they didn't take it seriously enough in the beginning and they rushed the reopening. Um, it's unfortunate. I'm not an epidemi epidemiologist, so I can't really talk on it at a medical level, but um, you know, it's just, it's just, hard, you know, tough times. You know? Yeah. I think we as a country learned some really costly lessons by this process. Um, you're right. I mean, we just, I don't think we took it serious enough and, um, you know, it became like a political battle, unfortunately, you know, everything is these days, which is a shame because um, we need to be working together on this, obviously. And um, yeah, I just, just you get a clear impression that I don't think there was a good plan in place for how do we keep businesses alive when we ask them to shut down? How do we, you know, all, there's all these other needs going on and um, they were just kind of making it up as they went um, and infighting a lot too, which is... This is it's shifting, problem. shifting. Yeah. Oh, it's not, it's not Washington's problem. It's the state's problem or it's the city's problem back and forth. Uh, no, this was a federal problem. I mean, you know, this, this is the whole country was under attack from this virus. At least we were told we were at war with the virus. So therefore, uh, yeah, it, 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 it does no good. Like um, let's say where Nico lives uh, it does no good for Chicago, uh, for Illinois to be under complete lockdown, let's say, and Indiana wide open and, you know, it borders this state. So if people are coming and going from Indiana, let's just say, that are infected, you know, it, 
you, you know, everybody has to be on the same page is what I'm getting at, you know, and you're right there. There's, there was no plan for this uh, apparently. So I, th- I think we got exposed. It exposed our greatest weaknesses in this country and our enemies, the enemies of this land are taking notes for the next one. I think this is all part of a plan. I think, I think we are on the edge of world war three and they just exposed all our weaknesses. So uh, we got to brace ourselves. I well, I think, coming. I think to your point is that, I mean, we were lucky in a sense that this, you know, it's from everything I'm hearing for the most part, this was like, just like a natural thing that happened. You know, there's some people debating that, but regardless, no. if someone wanted to, someone not, wanted to, like, if you think about nine 11, like we were saying, you know, how many people did that kill? You know, a few thousand, you know, and obviously yeah. there was a big economic hit at that time too, but nothing compared to this. So if, you're right. If someone wanted to attack us, this would be, you know. I've, China you, is openly admitting that this is a bioweapon. Oh, the, only I, thing is, the only thing is they're changing the rhetoric. They're saying the U.S. attacked us with a bioweapon. Well, and so I'm, sure, like, their leadership, I'm sure their leadership has advantages to try and get their people. Because, I mean, they, they obviously didn't do a good job locking it down in their country either. So they've got to do some spin to control it. And if they can blame us or get their people to believe that, I mean, regardless, I guess my point is, is I hope, I mean, to your point, Nico, is that, yeah, like if someone did want to do us harm, they should be, they would be, I would assume they'd be paying attention to how, how much this devastated us. Absolutely. And I think we also now need to be taking that seriously. Like, let's say there was an intentional bio attack. I mean, it we was, should have a protocol in place that, okay, guys, hey, you know, it's like after 9-11, there was like, I don't know if you remember this, but there used to be like color codes, like, oh, it's condition yellow or condition orange. We've like the, the intelligence communities heard some crosstalk. We don't know what the attack is going to be, but be ready, be on your guard and keep your eyes out. And so there would, they, I haven't heard those in a long time, honestly, uh, yeah. you know, it would just be on the radio or whatever, but we need, we need those same kind of procedures if there's, if whether it's man-made or natural saying, Oh, there's a sickness breaking out in Europe or in Asia. We need to stop flights. We're on stage one and everybody knows what that means. The kids don't go to school international, you know, we should have this all kind of dress rehearsed and hopefully from this, this issue, we'll, we will have a much more coherent because the thing is, is we can respond to this and shut this down. You know, this is totally manageable. You know, if we, if we all get on the same page, everybody does, you know, because a lot of things that, you know, like they said, there's only a certain things that are essential, essential workers and jobs. And we need to make sure that when push comes to shove, that we can keep those going and keep those people safe for, you know, whatever time, like if it's two or three months that it takes to make sure this thing is, you know, that, uh, although again, you know, some of these things you have to wait until you get a vaccine. So it's a lot longer process, but um, anyways, that's the thing. I hope that we as a country learn from this because I de- definitely right now there is, you know, they're making it up as they go and uh, we're paying the consequences for that. Like you said, this, oh, time to open up. No, we got to close back down. I mean, this, this stop and go stuff, that's got to be the worst for businesses, well, in my opinion. Where the problem that I see, and Nico says it's a biological weapon from China, so be it. We're not fighting China right now. We're fighting each other. And that's why we're, we're, we're self-inflicting. Divide, we're divide and conquered. Divide but what, and conquered. It's the oldest military tactic. Yeah. But what I see 
are people who are total hypocrites, American citizens who have, like, for example, before this all struck, uh, I, I saw people who were all about homeschooling. All right. I want to homeschool my children. Public school systems, no good. Parochial school system, no. I want to homeschool. I'm not going to have the government tell me that I have to send my child here or there. And now these same people are saying, how dare they stop our children from going to school? This is crazy. They're, they're hypocrites. So get your story straight. Stick to it. You know, if you were for homeschooling before, well, now you can do it. You can homeschool to your heart's content. Right? Everybody, Everybody's at homeschool right now. Well, but the thing is, the hypocrisy of it from certain people, you know, and it, the, the Joe mentioned it before, it's a political thing. Um, yeah, you know, like There's a lot, a lot of hypocrisy. Well, when I was in Chicago, when I'm talking to people in Chicago, I mean, Chicago's taking it from what I see a lot more serious than the rural areas, you know, with the masks and so on. But I've read that, you know, like uh, Walmart and several other uh uh, businesses, you know, national businesses are forced, you know, are now making it mandatory, um, you know, to wear a mask uh, when you go in. Uh, and it's just, you know, like no shirt, no shoes, no service kind of thing. We, I know I was raised on that. I, I'm sure there was a point in time in America where that wasn't necessarily true. And I vaguely, now somebody out there may tell me I'm wrong, but I vaguely remember in the 90s when I was in Arizona, uh, doing some seminars that you could go into stores with no shirt on. I thought so like a gas station. They also had mist water mists by the gas pumps. So you could kind of cool off. But um, yeah, any how the, the whole point for me bringing this up was that, yeah, I mean, our training or our hobbies, you know, uh, I'm going to, you know, may change. Um, but you can still work out, you know, or at least diet or do something. Um, and you'd be surprised, Joe Cardinal, when you play a lot of pool, there's a lot of exercise going on. That's a lot of walking. That's a lot of getting up, bending down, squatting, da-da-da. So you can the get – can get heavy. No, I'm being serious. <laughs> You're trying to make a joke, and it's the truth. You you know, I've, I've played pool so – at times like marathon sessions where my legs are just aching because I was, you know, walking so much, you know, around the table and bending over, straightening up and all that. But, yeah, Nico hit it on the head too. You can – work out push-ups run cycle uh do all of my like the fitness stuff that i had you guys doing in your training that should continue on anyway i mean you guys were supposed to do that regardless before the covid hit you know i gotta i gotta admit i've been slacking well you know i figured you did everybody has you've been working though back again you you, you got you work hard outside but you know um so yeah i i still really think that people should jump on this tri-c program because with this COVID and with the way things are and people going on a business and losing it, I'll have to shut my business down permanently. Finally end it. No more Tony Cicchini to train with or anything because um, with my personal situation with my mother taking care of her and and all that, I'm, you know, I'm not going to go through something like this again. I'll, you know, move and uh, get a, you know, try to find a regular steady job because I don't have that many more years left on this planet. I'm pushing 60. So, you know, um, and I'm not alone. I've, I've talked to other people who've, who've lost their businesses that they know it's over. Um, you know, I didn't get any financial help. I didn't get any unemployment or any uh, qualify for any business loans or anything. So uh, I've gotten beaten up badly over this and I can never, I'll never recover from it. it 
just like some other businesses like bars or restaurants that were, you know, some of them had it, had no choice but to shut down because um, they, they weren't capable of having outdoor seating, you know, when, when they allowed that, Uh, you know, but some of them that I know took advantage by remodeling, catching up on things they needed to catch up on. And apparently either they got a loan or they, they had a little bit of savings. I was just talking to an owner yesterday, but he's like, if it happens again, I have to totally reevaluate if I'm going to reopen or not. And since he's been reopened, he says the regulars aren't so regular anymore, you know, because people found out I don't need this place. I can go home and make my own food or get a case of beer and sit outside and save a bundle of money. It's a shame. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, and now these health clubs, I was told they don't move their machines, but you're like, let's say treadmills, you're supposed to like alternate, not use every treadmill. You got to alternate like one and then an open one and then another one and then an open one. Well, I've been at the gyms at times when I was running late and you had to wait for a treadmill. Now, if, if it's effectively been cut in half, I mean, you may not even get your workout in, you know? Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's rough. No, it's it's a new world we live in. Well, speaking of working out, let's talk about that. What, what got you guys started in your workouts in your martial arts history? Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Which one wants to go? Go ahead. But first, it's always about you, Joe. (laughs) That's the way I feel. I'm glad you guys agree with me. Yeah. yeah. Well, as far as like martial arts, because I think I was always inspired by like physical culture or workout culture. Like, you know, Tony, you and I talked about how like as kids, we were fans of the Rocky movies, you know. And, um, you know, if it was on TV or I had like a VHS tape of the movie, like I would just watch the workout sequences, like the, the training montages of like him, you know, using the sledgehammer in the junkyard and jumping rope. And I would get pumped up by that. Like, even as a kid, I would go out and run just randomly, work out, like even working out without necessarily a goal in mind, (laughs) just like, I would just get pumped about the idea of physicality, you know, and enjoyed that stuff. And I played other sports uh, growing up. Uh, I loved basketball and baseball, actually. I grew up like maybe three miles west of Wrigley Field. So, um, you know, obviously the Cubs were big as for me as a kid. There was a guy, Dave Kingman. I don't know if you remember him. Oh, yeah, the home run hitter. Right. Strikeout yeah. King. <laughs> right. But I loved him, you know, like it just, you know, as a kid, that was the kind of stuff that, uh, you know, really inspired me. But I finally, um, uh, kind of on a whim, I'm trying to remember what inspired me to do some training, but I, you know, I was vaguely aware of martial arts and things like that. Like I think most people are, uh, but I didn't know the difference between any of them. So like, I think I was maybe in, I don't know, like sixth or seventh grade. And there was a YMCA up on the North side, the far North side that one of my buddies was going to do a judo class over the, the um, summer. And so it's, I think the parents got talking about it and they kind of got me wrapped up. I had no idea what I was doing. Like I saw that we had geese that we had to wear, but I, you know, to me, if you put on a gi, that meant you were doing Kung Fu or karate. Like I had no idea the difference between the different styles. So I was kind of very disappointed after several weeks. Cause you know, they teach you how to fall first and then they teach you foot sweeps and I was like, yeah, but like, what if someone wants to punch your 
kick me or, you know, like I didn't, <laughs> I finally got the clue and the, Hey, Oh, this is just a, a wrestling art, you know, a grappling art. And, um, and unfortunately the way, I mean, they're definitely approaching it like in a sportive sense. So there wasn't like, this is how you use judo for self-defense, because I think obviously you could approach it like that, you know, teaching people in scenarios how to use those techniques, but that wasn't, they kind of always, when I asked the instructors, they kind of said, well, you know, if someone throws a punch, you'd catch it and do a shoulder throw, which is kind of an, would be an advanced slick move if you really were good at it. But as a beginner, I've got like a 0% chance of pulling that <laughs> off, you know? And, uh, I think so, a black belt would have a hard time pulling that off. Right. Especially right. against somebody that knows how to punch. Yeah. Right. But I mean, it kind of, in some ways, it disillusioned me about um, judo or martial arts and grappling in general, because I did, you know, like I think most kids, there's like, you have altercations throughout your life, just at school or whatever. And I could not pull off anything that I had, like they'd shown me in judo. Now, it's not a diss about judo. It's just the amount of training and the instructors I had at that time you know, there wasn't a lot of immediate practical skills. I mean, maybe the falling is a good thing to do right away because, you, you know, I think I still use that stuff to this day when you wipe out, you know, how to fall or roll, I think is valuable, but that's pretty defensive. You know, it's, you're still getting your ass kicked if it's a fight. Um, at least, like I said, putting three months into it. So I kind of walked away from it for a while. Um, but then a couple of years later, so I, the group of guys I hung out with there was just like a cultural change in them and maybe it's just the hormones with boys but like when they were going kind of into the early teens um they were becoming a little bit more violent and they're definitely like I was becoming a target with my own group of like the, it was the dynamics within my group of friends was changing I mean my neighborhood was always a little shifty it was like blue collar so there occasionally I'd be chased by groups of guys and there was always like you know it was never like a bad neighborhood but there was always violence I think most young boys growing up have the threat of violence generally, unless you're lucky, even if it's, you know, you're wealthy, I think boys will be bullied in school and stuff like that. It's just part of the dynamic. So, um, but when my own friends started to like provoke, kind of like the way you guys are bad to me. Um, the, uh, <laughs> <Just wait. laughs> um, but the, uh, I kind of revisited the idea, like, and I think some of them were starting to take, they were getting trained. So like one of them was Korean and he started taking Taekwondo and he was talking to the other kid. And so, so I kind of had that, oh shit moment, like, gosh, they're getting trained and they're, they're kind of like, you know, unpredictable guys. And so I just kind of decided I need to revisit this. And I wanted to, actually, I want to get into boxing and I spent some time trying to find, but boxing at that point, and this was like mid eighties in Chicago it was impossible to find, you know, any, not at, even at the park districts and shit. Well, you know, the thing is, it was all by word of mouth. Obviously there's no internet, right? Yeah. They um, had no, no advertising. They were like little dump factory right. places. Now, there, you know. there, ultimately I did find there was a guy, Bob Beal. So he was the boxing instructor at the river park in the field houses, but this was many years later. I didn't find him directly. I mean, I had to go through martial arts schools and people who had been trained by him to point me the way, you know, um, and part of it is just like my family. So my dad had passed away when I was young. So my mom was not at all into like sports and definitely no combat sports. So kind of like you need connections and people to kind of point you the way, you know, to help you find those things out as a kid. Um, the long and the short of it is though. So I was all geared up. I wanted to learn how to box. I had a sense. And I think I, I had like, as a kid, I had some, uh, like some of the dads would like have us throw on boxing gloves. I don't know if you ever, <laughs> this is like a common experience, but they just have like a couple of boys duke it out and they'd show you a few things. Like uh, 
one of my it, friends it's always my, my friends yeah yeah they, my me and my friends would just beat the crap out of each other all the time i, I was lucky <laughs> one of my friend my friend's uh dad's uh he was in the British Army. He did some boxing. I mean, he was not a real great boxer, but he showed us some pointers. And I kind of had a vibe like that seemed immediately practical to me, how to block a punch, how to defend my head, you know, because people are always trying to punch your head off. So initially I wanted to find um, boxing. And the only place advertising it was uh, the, probably the biggest school on, in the Chicago area was the Degerberg Academy. And they had a list of like their Yellow Pages ad had a list of like 30 martial arts they taught, but in there was boxing. And so it was kind of, that was the gateway into um, just learning boxing. I was like, okay, let me see what they got. And then it was kind of, oh, they teach kickboxing and all these other things. And that kind of was the gateway for me to learning, not just like trying to learn Western styles, but also being interested, reinvigorating my interest in like Asian styles and kicking styles and things like that. Um, I ultimately, I was very fortunate that in the eighties, I started training there a lot and gave up all my other sports training. And uh, they had a, a guy from Thailand, Chet Chai was his name. And I was training some kickboxing and some guys by word of mouth was like, well, you know, the guys who really kick our asses, who really eat us for breakfast are the Thai boxers. So if you want to see some really badass stuff, go see the Thai boxers. And they, they kept, I kept hearing this over and over again. So I did. I was like one of the only teenage kids who would go there because they had it like one class a week, late at night, like on a Monday at nine o'clock. And I just went, I kind of began to do it and it really took to it. I think the first time I went there and it's, there's actually a, a experience tie in with Tony actually, uh, at least an impression I had. So the first time, and I'll get back to that eventually. I don't know how much time we got here, but um, so when I first went to the Muay Thai class, I had done, I had done for probably six or seven, eight months, regular kickboxing. And when you've been kicked with like roundhouses and side kicks and other karate kicks and you've been punched, you kind of, I mean, it sucks getting hit, but you kind of like, okay, this is how hard I expect to be hit. You know, like you've been hit and you're like, yeah, that sucks, but I get it. When those Thai guys kicked me and hit me with their knees, I had never been hit like that. It was like terrifying. Like I didn't realize the human body could generate so much force. You know, it was like uh, when they kicked me, my, the fillings in my teeth rattled me loose. <laughs> I couldn't believe these little guys could hit so hard. And that reminds me of when I was grappling with Tony that, you know, I knew submission holds. This is kind of you know, I knew like, oh yeah, an arm bar, a triangle or choke, these things hurt. But I didn't realize how bad you could make them hurt until I trained. Like there's like the normal level of pain of what you expect. And then there's like, oh, they take it to 11. And then that's kind of the tie-in I had with Tony where um, by the time I came back and that, that's, that's getting way ahead of myself. But anyway, so I did Muay Thai for a while. Um, and then I'll try and sh cut this short, but ultimately like in the late 80s early 90s someone one of my thai boxing friends had a vhs tape of uh the gracies in action and he showed everybody basically you know on this tape now granted this tape was you know edited for their wins only but it really to me kind of opened my eyes to like oh shit i have no idea what to do if someone were to tackle me you know and sit on my chest and start to punch me that we never covered that and any of the training i got whether it was muay thai or you know uh, the Degerberg blend that they were teaching. It was, you know, it was mostly just kind of either you had fancy arm locks or, you know, kickboxing. Uh, and so I think like most of people, like by the time the first UFC came out, most people realized, oh, I have to learn some kind of grappling. I have to learn. And I think most people were like, we're trying to do jujitsu. This was before jujitsu was even here in Chicago. I think, you know, occasionally some guy would come in for a seminar. Like I think I went to a Hickson seminar in the earlier mid nineties. 
but this was way before Carlson Gracie had like a, a gym here or whatever. But eventually I was able to do some uh, jujitsu training on and off. And that it was kind of my first exposure to real kind of combat grappling that seemed practical for, you know, as opposed to kind of sportive, you know, and, uh, uh, but there were some things that there were still some questions in my mind of watching the UFC. I would see certain positions people would get into that seemed extremely vulnerable. Uh, and I was seeing how wrestlers were dominating, you know, they would take people down and as long as they would do the ground and pound, you know, even very expert level jujitsu guys would be in a very dangerous situation a lot of times. And that's when so happened, someone gave me a tape of Tony's stuff. And a lot of the things he was saying was making sense to me about staying on top. I mean, a lot of these ideas now are becoming more accepted in the grappling community. But back in the like 90s and early 2000s, they, this was not kind of common beliefs that like, you know, stay on top, don't go to your back. Um, and there's a lot of little specific details too that I, I'm not going to get into here, but it's kind of like I realized, oh, this is what I was missing. This is what I was looking for. And that's when ultimately it turns out that the guy was in Chicago, just on the suburb of Chicago. And that's how I was able to find you the first time, Tony. Oh, yeah. That's when I was out of stone park teaching. Yeah. Uh, on Mannheim. Yeah. I remember when you came in and, and that's funny because, uh, well, no, go ahead. I don't want to. Well, I mean, it. that's kind of, you know, that was kind of the, uh, kind of the, the short list, the bullet points of where I've got to in my training, where it's kind of like, um, you know, getting my striking in and then finding I needed grappling and then finding that grappling source to me that was more uh, safer for me to practice, if you will, safer for me as a, and, and also just effectiveness, you know, kind of this more the street self-defense type of grappling that I was looking for. You know, I've never been like a high level competitor in the martial arts um, or any kind of competitor really for that matter, you know, besides just sparring and training in the gym. So, um, you know, and I didn't want to learn techniques that were only going to be legal you know, or were only helpful if the rules helped me. You know, I want to know what happens if I, if I really got it, someone tackled me on the street, something like that. So, um, what about you, Nico? So, I started wrestling. That was my first sport. My dad put me in wrestling. My dad used to wrestle and box. My dad, street fighter. Um, so, yeah, I started wrestling when I was like eight years old. I uh, did a little few years of that in junior high. And then I decided I wanted to do karate. I was watching all of these Bruce Lee movies. Mm-hmm. So uh, I got into Taekwondo. And I didn't really care for it too much. I mean, we were like stretching for like an hour. It wasn't like what I expected. I thought we were going to be like action stars, like <laughs> jumping around doing, yeah. you know, flip kicks and stuff. But. It wasn't like that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I grew up in a little a little rough, I would say a little bit rough neighborhood. The kids were really rough. I mean, we used to we used to play tackle football on, on concrete. I mean, I remember in, in my grammar school, we had at recess, we just had a big like parking lot of concrete. And that's where we played tackle football. And we didn't take nothing of it. There was always, you know, always fights and always some kind of threat of violence, gangs and stuff. So that was just part of life. Um, So I was always interested in learning how to defend myself. And uh, when I got, when I was in high school, a lot of the real tough kids were doing boxing, you know, and they're really tough on the streets too. 
So I decided to try out boxing. I got, I found a boxing gym in Cicero and it was called CRC. It was like, a, you would never know about it. They, they didn't have any advertising. Um, it just have to be word of mouth. Somebody that went there that told you about it. Cause you'd never find it. And it was in like this real rough part of Cicero behind the uh, subway or the pink line railroad tracks. And it was uh, like an old broken down factory building. And you go in there and you just like a little sign on the front that said CRC boxing. And you go in there and it was like a fully equipped boxing gym. Really actually, I mean, nothing uh, fancy by any means, but it had everything you needed for a great boxing gym. So that's where I really started to learn how to strike. Uh, but it wasn't very formal. You go in there and I mean, the coach was always there, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't always coaching. He'd just tell you what to do, show you a few techniques and, you know, you're kind of on your own over there. You go. That's how it is. That's how it is in a lot of boxing gyms generally. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I was expecting like, you know, I go in there and they're going to like, you know, have a class and teach me step one, step two. And it wasn't like that. I just, you go in and you kind of do your own thing. And, and I actually like that because I'm, I'm a person that I, I hate structure. I don't like doing the same thing all the time. I kind of like the freedom of, you know, being creative and mixing things up. And kind of like, that's why I like your training too, Tony, because you're like, you kind of encourage that creativeness. Um, yeah, your personality is different than Joe's and, you know, yeah. such and such. Yeah. I mean, my job is to teach you more or less like a, like a music teacher would or an English teacher, you know, I want to teach you the foundations and the structures, and then you can go on your own and read whatever book you want to read. I don't want to force you to read every book, you know, right. I want, so I, you know, that's the metaphor I use, you know, no music teacher ever teaches you all the songs ever, ever written. A good music teacher will teach you how to read music, how to play all your fundamentals. And then on your own, you can go and play uh, everything you want to learn to play. Um, and I think that's part of the problem now. I hear of many complaints uh, in the jujitsu world about, you know, the rank and structure and how the politics play and in, in holding you back and not promoting you. And that, and a guy that interviewed me last week was talking about that and how he's actually, he has a martial arts school on the south side, uh, su suburbs. Um, and he uh, is only a brown belt, you know, but, you know, he never got that black belt and, you know, just, yeah. So sometimes you, you do want to have a teacher that'll show you the fundamentals properly, but yeah, then you got to develop. Yeah, it's on you. So yeah, I used to train over there, and um, yeah, once in a while a coach would hold some mitts for me and show me some pointers, kind of give me a routine, a workout routine. Uh, sometimes he'd just throw me in the ring with some of the boxers. Most of them were adults, uh, but I, I lived in a Hispanic neighborhood. So they're small in most of the guys. And I was like, I was a kid, but I was a lot of times sparring with, you know, grown men, you know, they were just smaller guys and just getting the crap beat out of me. So, but I enjoyed the training. It was cool. Um, then I remember when I was in high school, I thought I was a badass because I, you know, I did boxing I I did wrestling most of the kids were just thugs, never, never really formally trained. And I got my ass kicked by this big gangbanger. Guy was like twice the size of me. 
but I, I just thought I could handle anyone because of all my training. Um, but he, it was in the winter time and he used my jacket against me. I was wearing a winter jacket, just pulling it over my head, moving me around. And man, it just took away any boxing skill I had learned. And, uh, because I had gotten away from wrestling, I didn't really think to use my wrestling. And cause that, that probably would have, you know, turned it around, but I didn't. And, um, yeah, I got my ass kicked. And so after that, I was like, I got to learn. I, I really need to learn. You know, I, I don't, I need to learn how to use clothing and stuff for weapons. And that's what I started looking for someplace that taught judo. And I found right, right where I grew up, there was a place combat though. Um, started training over there and they they were really big into judo at that time. Uh, when I started training there, that's when the UFC started getting a lot of popularity, started gaining a lot of momentum and they kind of shifted the training more towards MMA. So it was a lot less of the, you know, jacket judo training and more just training with MMA gloves and uh, a lot more like wrestling techniques instead of judo techniques. So, but yeah, I mean, they had some good fighters. Uh, Tony, I mean, you know, some of the guys, I'm sure, you know, Shoney Carter. And oh, yeah. Trained with you. Um, and I got away from there. I moved on to the south side, and I started training with a friend of mine, Dion Ricardo. I actually, he grew up in Berwyn, too, and uh, very good friend of mine. And I trained with him for a while, but at that time, I had just had my kid, and I didn't have time for, to, like, take it serious, so... I was only training maybe a, a day a week or whatever, just try to stay in shape. Uh, but I trained with him for quite a while. And and I, I started helping coaching over there. Uh, me and him actually were doing, uh, running a martial arts school for a little while, a couple of years. And uh, it was his Victory Martial Arts Academy. And uh, I stopped doing that. And I just uh, kind of got a little bit fat and stopped working out because I had some nagging injuries. My back and my neck just would just be way too irritated to do any kind of grappling for a, for a long time. Uh, so, you know, I would do a little bit, you know, striking training here and there, but got away from it for a while. And uh, I had one of my friends had given me the lost art of hooking when I was training at Dion's, he was a good, good friend of mine. He was one of the coaches and I seen the lost art of hooking. And I started trying to practice those techniques and I was like really impressed how effective it was. Just like the only ones I really got down was just like control techniques. And I was impressed with how the little tweaks, you could really put so much more pressure on people. And I used to wrestle. So I, I know about pressure, but with the little tweaks that I learned just from the videos, not even going to train with you, I um, I really learned how to maximize pressure big time. So I, I found out you were in, um, like on the north side by O'Hare somewhere. And it, it really wasn't, I really couldn't make it there during the times that you had the training because I was usually working on the other side of the city. 
and it, honestly, I was I was afraid I was gonna go in there and you're just gonna like break my neck or something. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I just was thinking that when you were talking about this, Dion Ricardo giving you you know some guy over there, because that that was part of the problem. You know, people were afraid of me. You know, they yeah they were. I mean, I I didn't have as many students because they knew that this is the real deal here now. This is <laughs> this is the heavyweight championship of grappling here. What Tony's doing, there's no. Uh, it's not friendly, um, but yet nobody nobody gets hurt. Nobody gets – you're put in pain, but there's a difference between pain and, and injury. Yeah. You know, and unless you get cute with me, you're not going to get injured. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that's just been – you know, that's just been the thing. And, uh, yeah, I wish you would have came to my – when I had the gym in Bensonville, you'd have loved it there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was terrified. well i've i've had to clip some people you know that got cute and then they never come back you know but um i used to coach out of triton college too uh and they had a big wrestling area down there and you can yeah they got good wrestlers well it's a division yeah it's a juco school yeah um the coach harry mcginnis was fantastic nice guy um but yeah it's just been uh it's not for everybody this is not uh, this is this is hardcore. This is as hardcore as it gets. You know, I because of all the people I've trained around the country and guys who've come to train with me from around the world, I, I have a unique um, experience level, I guess, with different styles and different martial arts and different guys who've trained with, you know, celebrity, let's call them celebrity uh, instructors and uh, – I honestly think what I do is the best in the world. I think it's the most effective and the most savage. And uh, I think especially at times like we're living in now, uh, this, 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 this is what you need. You know, um, the sport aspect of it can, can get you in a little bit of trouble. Uh, yeah. Thankful for, I never learned it for a sport. So um, I never had that pitfall. So it's easy for me to say, cause you know, I learned the, the this hard ass way from the, from day one. So I, I never had a, unlearn a sport uh even when i boxed you know my grandfather raised me and he was a boxer and he started me with it and other guys you know i trained with boxers these were all world war ii era guys okay and they showed me how to clip with an elbow and how to do a lot of dirty boxing as they would call it nowadays which you know we didn't use that kind of term back then but uh you know it's it's you know i always learned okay this is how you do it for your sport but now if you just dip a little bit lower or shift a little bit you 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 know, do like a shovel hook to the groin or, or whatever. <clears throat> they always uh, emphasize this because when I was learning in the 70s, uh, you know, and I was in, in an extraordinarily violent area, uh, not just of the city of Cleveland, but in the whole United States. It was a horrible place to area to live in. All these old timers knew that oh, this kid's probably not, he's not going to make it. I'll probably end up dead. I mean, one of my friends who was actually our paper boy got killed, drowned in a pool in high school. They got him, um, you know, this lot of bad stuff. So they taught me from the get go how to survive more or less street oriented um, uh, things, even with the boxing, let alone the catch wrestling. That's the whole point of this was to learn how to defend and win. So unfortunately, when you guys, well, not you personally, but that era when, when the UFC started to come out, 
so many guys that came to my gym, nearly all of them, pretty much. They just wanted to learn grappling, sport, sport grappling. If I had a dollar for every time I heard somebody say, well, that's illegal what you're showing. We can't use that. I'd be a millionaire. Okay. And I capitulated to them, which was a big mistake. I should never have done it. I should have said, nope, this is the way I teach. You're either going to study my way or you, or you, or you got to leave, you know, but I, I felt that if I show them, you know, watered down stuff, um, that it would, you know, help spread the word of what I do, but it was a mistake. I, 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 I just couldn't take it anymore. It was just like, this isn't, this isn't what I would do. This isn't how I would fight. You know, you know, it, it was like banging your head against the wall, you know? So, and, and, and even to this day, it exists, all these rules, you know, that are just some of them, I guess I can see, but a lot of them are, no, there's no reason for this rule. That's frustrating for me. Well, that's what we've talked about before, too, is how do you balance that, right? Because you need to go toe-to-toe with someone. You need to get that, um, you know, you need to have that, the mental and physical toughness that combat sports brings to you. But there's definitely moves that if we're doing them, you know, like we just, you, you have to censor and sanitize it a little bit because, you know, people won't be coming back the next day for training. You can't attack the eyes and the, you have to be more careful or really trust your partner. And it's tricky. It's tricky to get that balance right, I think. But Joe, to interrupt you, these schools don't even address that. They don't even tell you, here, you're vulnerable for an eye gouge or something like that, whatever. They're not, it's never, never even addressed. And, you, you know, I've always addressed that. You know, I have a video on ripping and whatever, and I think I've discussed it on other tapes. You know, you're vulnerable here to this or that. And, you know, from our training with other guys, they're in denial about it. To this day, they're like, well, if you try to do that on me, I'm going to do this to you. And you know, because you've seen it, you've been the instigator, so to speak, of even when you accidentally poke somebody in the eye, they're done. I mean, they're like discombobulated. You saw it. They go, they fall to pieces. And this is my point that I've tried to make. This guy, Joe, did it accidentally, lightly, and it took you completely out of your game plan. Now imagine if he's really doing it, for real, trying to gouge that ball out of there, you know? It, it negates every training, everything you've ever learned, because you're, you know, you just, we're not prepared for that. Um, and there's a lot of techniques like that, just more than, more than just eye gouging, uh, as you know. Um, so now I don't care anymore, you know? I, I, you can only say it so many times, and if people want to believe it and listen to it and study it, then that's great. But if they choose, oh, I don't need that. You know, nobody else fights like that. I'll just fight like, you know, safe like everybody else does and, and deal with it. Okay, good luck. But one of these days you're going to run into somebody who's, who's savage, like uh, what happened with Nico when the kid pulled the jacket over his head. It was foreign to him. He didn't know how to deal with that. Well, you're going to, yeah. run, into, you're going to run into a lot of stuff like that. Uh, if you've been in, in the situations that I have been in and others have been in. Look, I'm going to tell you, I don't even know if I've ever mentioned this, and I'm not going to go into deep detail, but I remember I was in seventh or eighth grade, new school, and um, one of the kids, his father got shot to death in a bar, and we had to go to the funeral, you know, because it was a Catholic school. They had the mass there. Um, this other kid that I knew, his dad was considered one of the toughest men, you know, uh, certainly in the city. He was a former pro wrestler, uh, or he, may have, he, he probably was still a pro wrestler at the time. 
and he got shot to death in a bar. Um, I got shot. My grandmother had a gun pulled on her. Uh, you know, my other friend got shot. Uh, just on and on. Uh, you know, so as a young kid, I was exposed to death and to violence, and I've witnessed the murder and everything. I've seen so many horrible things. And, you know, Nico probably has, or at least he's, if he hasn't directly, he knows someone who has because of living in where he lived. So it boggles my mind that people who are in those bad areas would not want to learn the most ultimate way of defending yourself. Why wouldn't you want to do that? But we're a long way from the 70s, you know, and as bad as they think crime is now, it's nothing compared to what it was in the 70s. I mean, the statistics, you know, the FBI crime statistics, or even look at the Chicago Police Department statistics. It, you know, there's a difference between what was happening in the 70s and what's happening now. You know, so it's, but I'll never forget the, the lack of humanity in certain people, how they will do everything possible to kill you. And it may only, may only be over nickels or dimes that you have in your pocket. So when that, that left a scar on me, you know, PTSD, I guess they say I have from all this childhood violence and whatever. So that's why I feel that what, I do is more than it's, 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 it's like a mission in a way, or like a, uh, I don't know. It's almost, you know, I don't know what the word is, but they're calling. It's a calling. Yeah. In a way to, to save people's lives, not winning your, your championship belt. Although Javier's done one world titles, other guys I've trained won titles, world titles, whatever. That's great. If that's the goal they want to go to. My thing has always been, I want to make you the toughest man on the face of the earth so you can defend yourself against anybody. You know, that, that's simple. And nobody yet to this day has ever wanted to learn everything I know. Not one person has embarked on that. So um, it'll never happen. My body's like yours, Nico, racked with pain, injuries, this, that. You know, financial situations now are completely different in the world and I, I've got to move on into a different direction probably. And it's sad that nobody will ever be able to say, I learned everything that Tony knew. It'll never happen. That is one of the tragic things I think about too, is that, I mean, you know, your lineage of martial arts knowledge, you know, it still really hasn't, in my opinion, disseminated to enough people that it's going to survive for another generation or two or carry on. You know, it hasn't, I think it's still kind of in a, uh, like a, an endangered species, if you will, that era of catch moves and ripping and things like that. I mean, you've trained, you know, thousands of people in seminars, but when you get down to the people who've been with you for a long time, that starts to get to a very small number of people you know, like you mentioned. And that's, that's really tragic. I think it's tragic that we could lose some of this knowledge, some of our, I would say our martial heritage, honestly, as a country. Uh, this is part of it, you know, part of what, if my mission or calling is to try and try and help that along. You know, I'm an old man now at this point, so I'm never going to be a great competitor, but I can definitely try and learn as much as I can and try and rope in younger athletes to try and get this going. But yeah, now we're hit with COVID where we've got to have a new game plan as to how to get that knowledge out there. Um, you know, actually I was going to, there's so many, th when you asked about our martial arts story, there's things that I forgot, but talking about the savagery nature of it. Cause you know, I spent a lot of time watching martial arts videos and training videos. And obviously back in the nineties, I was watching a lot of jujitsu and seeing 
I mean, just how slick and athletic a lot of those guys were. And there was kind of a, uh, a gymnastic or like a, a beauty to the way they would move. Sometimes they'd sweep people and just control them. And then I saw your videos and it brought me back, back to ground zero. It's like, Oh no, fighting is savage and ugly. You know, this is an animal killing another animal. You know, it's not a beautiful, it's not ballet. It's not gymnastics. And I'm exaggerating, but um, it was painful to watch sometimes some of the moves. And it, 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 that was one of the impressions I had. And I think it becomes immediately obvious to people. There's like kind of a, I would think, you know, if their, their headspace is in the right place, oh, that's right. Fighting is supposed to be quick and savage. You know, it's not a lengthy game of chess. I mean, there is strategy to it, but it's got to be done quick and violently because you're very at risk. Yeah. You know, your body is very yeah. vulnerable. Yeah, when they were marketing it about there are no time limits, two, three hour, four hour fights, I just laughed. I'm like, oh God, these guys have never really been in a real fight. No, fights are fast, dynamic. You need them over with quickly for many reasons, especially uh, multiple assailants, perhaps weapons, law enforcement getting called on you and all of this. Yeah, maybe if you're out in the middle of a cornfield, you can go on for, for hours. But uh, no, if if it's taking you that long to to, to dispatch your opponent, um you're not well-skilled, period. Absolutely, totally, you're not very good. Um, and especially when we're dealing with someone who's – I remember many years ago somebody showed me a, a video of a jiu-jitsu seminar, and I'm not going to mention names, but the master afterwards sparred with the beginner, and it took the master 10 minutes to submit the guy. And then when he did, everybody claps and all that. I'd have quit on the spot. I'd have given up. I'd have said, nope, I'm not a good, I'm not a master. I'm not any good. If it takes me 10 minutes to take out a, a complete beginner, there's something wrong. And I used the analogy when I saw this, I said, cause Tyson, I said, imagine Mike Tyson when he was at his absolute peak. Do you think it would take him 10 minutes to take out a beginner? A guy, you know, just a complete, you know, amateur Tyson would have that fight over with in a heartbeat if he chose to. And, uh, you know, that's why I had this thing about with me, you know, 60 seconds, you know, I should take you out in 60 seconds or less. Um, and, and I pretty much did that all the time and without savageness, you know, without punching you, without ripping you even just by using holds. Now imagine if I was punching you and ripping and everything else, you know, that's, that was always my ace in the hole. And that sounds like I'm bragging. No, it's just to tell you that if I could do it, you could do it too. There's just, levels upon levels and um you know everything i've done and everything i've learned other people can can learn it and do it and maybe better than i ever was even at my peak who knows um but yeah we've come a long way i i remember you know when you would watch martial art movies now i never saw a bruce lee movie until i was like a junior or senior in high school but i remember watching a kung fu tv series that was like a big thing with me but I always had this Kung Fu stuck in my head before I even started learning how to wrestle, probably right around when I started learning how to box. And I'll tell you the reason why I got a martial art magazine at the time. And I don't remember what it was, but they were talking about all the different styles, Aikido Kung Fu or whatever, you know, just on and on. When it came to Kung Fu, this is what really stuck me stuck out. And this might've been inside Kung Fu magazine, come to think of it, because it said to master Kung Fu, took seven hours a day, seven days a week for seven years. I, I've never forgotten that to this day. 
the sevens. Seven hours a day, seven days a week for seven years. Wow, I said, well, now, now if you're practicing that much and that long and that hard, you're going to be the baddest man in the world. You know, you're going to be able to do crazy stuff. You know, so then that always, that always stuck with me, you know. <laughs> it probably was marketing, I'm sure, but, you know. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, I, I remember the Count Dante and John Natividad, his, his advertisements, in, you know, in uh, comic books and things like that, and, you know, Dante, the deadliest man alive, and his great ad and all of that. And, oh, I can rem- remember all of that as a kid. And then, uh, you know, Charles Atlas with the feats of strength. And, you know, I sent out for the course. Well, I thought I sent out for the course. I did not. They just gave me a little pamphlet. And then there was a price involved with that. I'm like, oh, well, come on. I can't, I can't pay for this. I, you know, but uh, for me, it was always, you know, I knew when I saw the martial arts stuff I, I on TV now and then we'd have Kung Fu theater on Saturday on a local television station. They'd show these movies from China. And I'm like, people don't fight like that. I mean, because I would literally, honestly, it was like nearly every day. If you just walk a, a couple streets or walk down my street or the next street over or something, you're going to see something. Okay. It, that's how bad it was. You're going to see fisticuffs and violence and shit. So I knew how real adults, how real people fought. I, I knew. Like, it's, it's, it's not like any of these movies. It's, I wish it was like the movies. <laughs> Even the movies where the guys were getting killed were still a lot nicer than what I saw for real. Or then you'd hear the pop, pop, pop in the middle of the night. You'd hear that gunfire going off when you're trying to sleep. This shit leaves a mark, man. You know, it's like being in a war zone for real and unarmed. You know, you, you can't fight back. and You don't have a battalion there to, to help you. And you got to walk into this. You got to go to school. You got to go shop. You, you know, you got to. Yeah, it was tough. So, um, so that's why I'm not impressed by a lot of martial art guys. You know, I mean, I'm, I may be impressed with their physical abilities, like, oh yeah, you're in shape or, you know, those, you can do some fancy kicks or whatever the case may be. And that's great things that I don't do. Okay. But when it comes to the money marbles and chalk, how can you, can you really truly fight? I mean, can you, um, You'd be surprised how many of them have never been in an, a real encounter. They, they've told, I've asked, you know, because I'm at, I'm at the level of being a peer and I've asked and they've been candid with me. Good, I guess. I'm glad for them. They've never had to live with it. But man, I, I can probably remember my first serious encounter was first grade. I mean, this is where a gun was pulled out and I was in first grade and they dragged my grandmother in a car at gunpoint and I'm right there. You can take your martial arts and shove it up your ass, the sports stuff. You know, I think, you know, you're, you're doing, you're doing a grave disservice to people because you're leading them down a garden path. You know, it's, it's, it's all smoke and mirrors, man. When the, when the reality hits, you better be prepared for that, for that gun or for that knife or that pipe or that three-on-one um, or what, whatever have you. And if you don't teach your guys to prepare for that, um, 
Just call yourself a sport gym, period. Change the name from martial arts or mixed martial arts, whatever. Change, drop that, okay? You know, just just call it, you know, something else. Come up with a new term. But if you're not teaching these people how to truly defend themselves, um, then you need to let them know that. That, hey, this is just for a sport arena only. You may not be able to use this stuff in a life or death situation. Then I'd be happy with that. I could be content with that at least. You know what I'm saying? I, I take this personal. Yeah. So how can somebody prepare themselves mentally for that type of savagery and violence? It, you prepare mentally in the gym. You have to ignite that adrenaline. You have to make sure the person that you're training, obviously you can't kill the person. You can't break limbs, but you have to get them to that point where they're damn near in tears, where they don't know what's happening next. Like with me, what happened when and I, I'm not advocating to do this now because, you know, you get arrested. But like if I got tapped, he didn't immediately let go. He kept it on for a little while. But when he would let go, I'd have to stand up. I'd have to close my eyes. I'd have to stand up with my arms spread, my legs spread, standing. And, and I'd have to wait maybe three seconds, maybe five seconds, maybe 15 seconds. And I could hear him walking around me. I could even feel his breath sometimes. And then I'd get, I'd get a whack. I'd get hit. I'd get smashed with a, uh, like a, uh, not a whip, but like a yardstick or something, or sometimes just his hands. And he was so strong. It, it, anywhere on my body, it could have been anywhere. And that fear of what, how much is this going to hurt? Where is he going to hit me? What's going to happen? He tied that into every time I got submitted, something bad was going to happen to me. And that's the problem with a lot of these grappling schools. It's a joke to them. Oh, you tapped me out. Big deal. Okay, now it's my turn. Let's try it again. There's no, there's no payment for blundering so badly that you got submitted. It's a game to them. It's a joke. You know, you, you, you don't pay any sort of price. So you never in your mind make the, the, the connection of being submitted is a dangerous thing. It, and, and, and it really is, you know, especially if you're using my hooks, you know, because if I do it for real, you will go to the hospital guaranteed. You will have to have surgery guaranteed and you may never be proper again, guaranteed. So you have to have that training that puts you in jeopardy and stimulates that adrenaline now i'm not advocating anybody do it i'm just telling you that's how i did it and under the proper guidance you can do it but you know it, it also has drawbacks you know it 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 lingers with you mentally um you know it i i you know i'm hyper alert to this day everywhere i go i'm always looking around i'm watching everything I have bad sleep because of things. I hear a little sound. I'm up. Um, but this is how you train a true warrior, empty-handed warrior, not, not some guy that relies on a gun, you know, uh, or a, a team of, uh, you know, compatriots to, to have your back. You know, you have to be the weapon. You have to be your own team, okay? It's all you. And until you can feel confident like that, um, you don't know how you'll react in a, in, a, in a given situation. You know, it's it's tough, Nico, but nobody's teaching it like this. Nobody. I don't know of anybody any, anywhere in the country. 
Do you? I don't. No. They think they're doing it with their bullshit techniques that are laughable. I see. I used to watch YouTube, and I quit years ago. I only watch YouTube now to listen to music because some of these techniques are just a joke. You know, um, I'm like, God, they, there's, they're, they're calling it street fighting, and it's still a sport to them. They still don't get it. Damn, man. You know, it's, yeah, it's frustrating. It, I mean, it really, it really is. <sighs> I get, I get worked up because I think of all these people who, who, who have trained and spent so much time and still get their asses kicked. And then they quit the martial arts because they wasted all their time with the, well, they did, they wasted their time, but don't give up on the martial arts. Just give up on the teacher that you had, find another one, you know, there was a story a few couple, three years ago about some guy that tried to break up a fight down on the leg front and got beat. And he was a jujitsu guy and he got beaten to a pulp, put in the hospital. And he was a big man too. And he got the two on one. He just wasn't prepared for it. He got beaten severely to, to a point where he was hospitalized. And it may have even been touch and go there for a while. I don't know. But again, his training didn't prepare him for that. His heart was in the right place, but he didn't have the training, you know, yeah, I know several MMA fighters. One of them was a pro uh, that almost died in the streets in uh, bar fights. Actually, two guys I know that got stabbed nearly to death almost died. And they're, I mean, well-trained MMA guys. Yeah, and, and I'm sure they were great MMA guys. But the, the knives and things, bar fights, whatever you call it, totally different, mm-hmm. you know, totally different uh, animal, man. You know, um one of the first things, you know, you got to look for weapons. You got to pick up a chair, use that as interference between you and the guy. Or if you have a jacket, use that as an interference, you know, to try to get that blade away for this. this these are just examples, right? Um, I've seen some, you know, crazy schools that try to teach you these ridiculous wrist lock disarms on knives. And I mean, I was like, you're not going to do that. You know, you'd be, <laughs> you'd be, it'd be a one in a million shot. You know, uh, you, you've got to take the path that's least risk. You know, when you, when you, when you try to disarm somebody, um, I always talked about making a, a weapon video, you know, how to disarm people or whatever, not disarm, but you know, how to deal with weapons. And I, I won't ever make any major video again because of piracy, you know, because you don't make any money on it. And, um, you know, the, these are the world again, has caused a lot of their own problems. You know, people just thinking, Oh, I'm going to go to a torrent site and download, 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 download. Well, a lot of people just won't put out material anymore because you destroyed their income. You know, you feel you're entitled. You're a thief is what you are. You're a felon when you do that. Let's get one thing straight. You mean I've been been convicted, but you are a criminal now. You are now one of the bad guys, okay? You may have wanted to get the video so you could fight the bad guys. Well, now you're the bad guy because you're a felon when you do this. People don't get that. So when you pirate stuff, you know, it, 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 it makes people not want to put out, you know, product anymore. So I won't make this disarm or whatever you want to call it um, video, but trust me, if I were to show you stuff, it, it is unlike it's, it's rather simple and it's unlike probably anything you're, you're thinking. Okay. It's back to that brutal ugliness because I've been cut. I I've been cut on numerous occasions. I've dealt with knives. So I know what goes down. Okay. 
And I'd rather be slashed than, than gutted. I'll tell you that first and foremost. Believe me. That's all I'm going to say because I can't demo anything here. But that's the shooting you. You living in the city, man, or living in the bad areas, you know, you, I, for some reason, I just took to this, you know, uh, I, instead of cowering up and rolling into a ball, I wanted to learn, I wanted to make my life to learn how to, how to deal with it. Cause I've never not lived except for now where I'm at. I've never not lived around the city or, you know, or, or hung in the city on a daily basis, you know, um, 50 years almost of it, you know? Yeah. 50 years of being in a big, big city. Um, it, yeah, that's, I'll be back too. I'll be back to the big city within the next year or so, you know, so that's where I'll end up dying. You can take the kid out of the hood, but you can't take the hood out of the kid. <laughs> uh, well, I, I envy guys, you know, I've said it before. Maybe I wish I was born in one of those suburbs, you know, with the wealthy parents or something. And I would never have had to learn any of this and de deal with it. I probably been been worth a lot of money now. I would have had a good career doing something. I probably might even been retired. That wasn't the case for me. I made it an aspiration in my life to teach what I taught, and I ended up busted out because of it. You know, just not. You no, know, but if I know I've I've helped people save lives. You know, I've I've gotten testimonials from people um, who've told me, "Man, Tony, I used your thing to save my life." So, okay, it's worth it. It's worth it then. If I can help one person save their life, which I have, I feel good. Hungry, but good. <laughs> you know, yeah. Where are you going to live, Joe? Me? Oh, good question. I have no idea, man. It depends where my kids end up, I think. I keep waiting for them to settle down and have grand or grandkids so I can um, figure out. But that's that's the... That's the the final phase for me is to get near the grandkids. I said, help out with that. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm at that stage in my life where I miss having little kids around, you know, Nico's probably can't wait for them to get out of the house, but I kind of come full circle where it's like, Oh, I miss having you know, a house full of kids and stuff. Uh, so. No, we're Italian. Um, we, uh, we never leave our children. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, my, you know, my family's all over the place right now. So it's like, I kind of, I'm hedging my bets right now. So I'm still, uh, you know, home base is still the Chicago area for me. Well, that's what I meant. I mean, do you think you'll move back to Chicago proper? Oh, no, honestly. It's funny. You know, I, for years, so I moved out to the Burbs, I don't know, 2003 or something, kicking and screaming. I'm like, man, I'm a city guy. I don't want to, you know, I'm going to miss everything that I grew up with the city. And for years and years, uh, I was kind of heartbroken and nostalgic for the city like anytime I drive back in I was just bitter like shit this could be where I could be living you know <laughs> and, you know my, but I think over time a the city's changed a lot the city right. I grew up is not not there anymore it's at least the north side it's it's fairly gentrified a lot of the places and I think that's true about life in general you know you don't go back home right it's not the same um, so a lot of the places and people I knew are not there anymore and you, you just start to make new connections that like, you know, I've really put down roots out here. You know, I've become kind of the suburbanite, you know. Uh, so I don't know, you know, I'd, I'd have to, I'd have to debate. I think it'd have to be more than just to be there for what, cause you know, Hey, I'm not one of those suburbanites who like some people who were born and grew up here when I've interacted with them, they don't even want to go into the city. And that's not even just Chicago too. Like um, I have relatives out in uh, 
California who live in the suburbs of these gorgeous cities like San Francisco, and they don't want to take a 40-minute drive to experience all the culture and things you can do in San Francisco and stuff. It's just, oh, no, it's this terrible city. Um, for me, just being on the outskirts of the city, I'm still within striking distance. So if I want to go eat or check out something, I, I'm more than willing to do that. Where I think a lot of people, they kind of get stuck. So, uh, and I'm lucky I'm by a train line, so I can work pretty easily in the city too. So I'm, I kind of have a best of both worlds. You know, I can have a quiet block, you know, where I'm not being woken up by neighbors honking their horns at trying to get their neighbor out at two in the morning. And, you know, when I was in the city towards the end, it was, I was becoming kind of that grouchy old man. I'm like, hey, keep it down, you kids. You know, I want to go to sleep. And um, now I've got that. But I can still go in and see my friends or, you know, take a class or whatever in the city. So I, I don't know, honestly, where I'm going to end up. Um, if one of my kids settles down in the city, uh, like my daughter's going to be back in the city. And if she starts a family there, then that would make sense. If I could be a couple blocks away, you know, like anytime she needs someone to watch the kid, that would make sense to me, you know. Um, but right now, you know, for training, I can head in and train in the city if I want to. Now, granted, obviously everything's locked down, but I guess I keep hoping that a year from now, maybe we'll, we'll they'll be back to kind of uh, the way things were. That might be optimistic for me, but um, I don't know. So yeah, I don't know. I've also, I just kind of want to, I hate winter, you know, I hate freezing. So there's always that kind of fantasy of like, shoot, maybe I should move to California or Arizona. No, Arizona's hot as hell. So I don't know if I want to go that far or maybe Portland, something where I'm not, you know, having my face frozen off for 60 days out of the year, you know? Um, I don't know. So I, I'm still haven't made up my mind yet. I know that I will not more than likely any longer entertain any ideas of moving down South or out West to warmer weather. Um, because, uh, I mean, unless I had an offer that's just too good to refuse, um, I think living out here where I've been the last six years, just a little bit northwest of Chicago, shows me that I'm not cut out for that rural, you know, country style of life. I desperately miss the diversity of something like a Chicago can offer. Um, it's wonderful to be able to be around people that are from Ireland, Poland, Germany, Italy, you know, Mexico, whatever, you name it. Um, you have that in Chicago. It made me a better, and Cleveland had it, um, but Chicago to a bigger extent, but this is the third largest city in America. So it mean, meant a lot to me, and it helped me become a more educated, well-rounded human being with open, more open-mindedness. And um, so I would, I would ideally like to stay in the Chicago area, close to either in the city or, you know, Norwich, you know, Park Ridge, some border, you know, Elmwood Park, again, some border county or a border um, city, um, which is, which is fine because um, while most of my friends have passed away now, I only have a handful left. Uh, I know in Chicago, I can make new friends and I'm not going to be long for this world. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be here another 50 years anyway, you know, I don't have that much time left. So I'm just, gonna wait for my whatever happens with my mom's health situation here to play out and then hopefully move closer in you know and then job opportunities are there and you know what about you nico i'm planning on moving a little farther south i think uh 
I believe things are going to get much, much worse. I don't think this is something that we're going to recover from and things are going to go back to normal. I actually think quite the opposite. I think this is a plan to completely destroy this nation. And I think that very soon the judgment of God is going to fall upon this nation. I think the cities are going to, are the first that are going to be radically affected. And so I'm, I'm bugging out. I'm getting out. I'm going to see how this plays out. And, uh, you know, I'm not really ready for this type of storm, but I believe a big storm is coming. I think everybody should prepare for the worst and hope for the best. I think everybody should repent for the sins, the sins of this nation and um, plead for God's mercy because I believe very strongly it's coming. So, Well, I agree that definitely if Tony moves back to the sea, there's problems there. (laughs) (laughs) The wrath is coming. (laughs) The wrath of Chikini. Yeah, that's true, Tony. You have to let me know if you're moving and that'll be a big deciding factor for me. I have to Am I going to the city or do I stay out? <laughs> yeah. No, I probably will, you know, if I could. I mean, you know, it's it's easier said. I, I can't get into it, but this, I'm in such a situation here with, with, with my mom's health that my life, forget about the COVID, my life is completely put on, on, on standby for everything, completely on hold. So I don't know what I'm going to do. And then when the time comes that I have to move, will it be in a heartbeat? Am I going to have somebody help me move my furniture? I mean, am I going to find a job? Am I going to find a, you know, new, new place to, to, to rent? Uh, you know, I mean, you know, it, there's, there's, a, there's a lot to it. You know, um, I've lost a lot of connections in Chicago. Because uh, like I said, people have passed away. Um, I'm out of the loop. So, you know, like when I was there yesterday, I saw one place I was <clears throat> above, they had a for rent sign, but, I know it was $1,100 to rent, but I didn't bother looking. There's no point because I, I could be here another year or more. I don't know how long I'm going to be here where I'm at. But um, unlike Nico, um, I'm not going to run away from anything that might happen. I'm just going to run right into it. Um, but Nico's Nico's different. Nico has a wife and he has a family. You know, He has children and everything. He's got things going on and you know, thing. Everybody has their own little background. Everybody brings something to the table. So for me, I'm pretty much a loner now. You know, it's just pretty much. You know, I've been taking care of things for so many, so long for so many people that I'm burned out completely. And I know that if something should happen to me, I have literally no one to help me. Okay, not no one at this stage of the game. So. Um, if somebody romantically, if she comes into my life, well, then that may change my plans naturally. But, uh, you know, I don't see that. I really don't know if that's going to happen. The other thing that I thought would be kind of ideal, kind of to your point, Tony, is actually if I could, you know, if I hit the lottery or whatever, my plan would be honestly to spend winters somewhere warm and then come back to the city during the summer. Uh, my son Ben's kind of doing that right now. He lives with family in California during the winter, and like he's with us now, also because of COVID, kind of spiking up in California. So he's just smarter for him to be here right now. Um, but I, I could go with. I mean, I, I like winter up till about Christmas and New Year's. 
and then I'm done with it. You know, like <laughs> once I've had that, but then the next three months are just this horrible slog, you know? So if I could uh, flip back and forth, you know, be in the, the city, Chicago area during the summer and spring, and then get out of Dodge for, and I think that's kind of like what a lot of people who've, you know, snowbirds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That, that to me, the more, that seems like the ideal situation if you could pull that off. Um, yeah, it'd be gone January and February for sure. Maybe come back sometime in March. You know, I thought, you know, if I had the ability to do it, I would just probably stay at a uh, one of those extended stay motels where you can cook, you know, in it and everything for a couple months or something, you know, but then you still got your rent to pay wherever you're living in Chicago. Yeah. Unless, you, unless you can get somebody to, who's going to, who's going to live there for you for two months. Nobody's going to do that or three months. Yeah, yeah. Most people just own two small places, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm, I, I mean, I have no desire to own a house or anything. You know, I don't want a mortgage, you know, after living here in this house, taking care of everything, it's just too much. You know, I, I just don't want to do it, you know, anymore. I, I'd rather just be in a small apartment um, or something, you know, like that for me, cause it's just me. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't have, you know, little children like Nico, or I don't, I don't have a wife and a grown son like you have living with you. You know, I, once my mom, once I'm done with this situation, it's just me. So, um, <clears throat> you know, my plans, Kevin and I had plans of what we were going to do. And of course, once he got killed, that changed all that. <clears throat> and that would have been, you know, Tony Cicchini's traveling road show and caravan, you know, we were going to get a motor home and travel down the South Eastern seaboard, all of that, you know, stop along the way, do seminar here or there, you know, and it would have been a great way to live for a few years, but you know, that'll never happen now. Um, but who knows, you know, I mean, let's just see how everything starts to play out now. Um, I do miss Chicago. Or at least, you know, I shouldn't even say that because you and I, Nico, or uh, Joe, and, and Nico, we don't really know Chicago. I don't know of anybody who really knows Chicago, the, all of it, the whole, the whole of Chicago. I mean, I've been to the south side. I've been to parts of the east and west side, but I don't really know it. I mean, my, I'm the northwest side guy, you know, that I don't hang downtown. I mean, I've been there, but I don't know downtown even really. I know my little portion of Chicago, you know, and it's, I, I like what I know. Yeah. I, I was always just around Berwyn at Cicero. Not too much on the North side. Yeah. It's funny how people stay to their own little neighborhoods. You know, I grew up, you know, on the North side kind of, I think it's called Irving park or whatever. It was right by Lane tech high school, but you just kind of stay in your own neighborhood. It's the city's so big that it's all these, like they, they, you know, it's a city of neighborhoods they talk about, but I don't know the South side at all. I mean, I've been there, but you know, I don't know where all the good places are to eat or where the cool parks are, or, you know, I, I, it, it's a whole other world in some ways. Uh, it's even weird. Like when you look up at the downtown and in the, in the it's to your right instead of to your left. You know, the whole orientation is, it's, it's funny. It, it is a different world. And yeah, a city as big as Chicago, you're never going to know it all. You're never going to know all the great places to eat or, you know, things to check out. I mean, that's one of the cool things is that you can keep yourself kind of constantly occupied 
if you if you've got that personality, if you're not going to be shut in, you know, if you're if you want to explore, you know, there's definitely and I think about that with our country too. I mean, think about how many areas of our country we never get to see. I mean, it's you know, uh, you know, I know people, you know, like I want to go and see the Grand Canyon. You know, that's one of my bucket list things. I saw it as a kid, but I was so little, I have no real memory of it. But I mean, we've got these great things in our country to see these parks and and communities, and most of us really don't ever. I have some friends, I work with coworkers who have immigrated here. <clears throat> and man, every time they have a vacation, they go somewhere and they check it out. You know, it's kind of like we take our, you take your own place for granted in a lot of ways. When you're new to a place, you go and explore a lot of times. You have more of that explorer attitude. But I think a lot of times we just get set in our routines. You know, we don't, we don't realize how much we have in this country to check out and explore. I mean, obviously now everything's shut down. So I'm talking in a, you know, hypothetical future where we're able actually to travel again and go places <laughs> but uh chicago's a lot of restaurants are that i this has got nothing to do with covid they just closed up you know long before the covid you know and yeah uh you're you're right america has a lot of natural beauty but america you know you got a power storm coming a thunderstorm. yeah i might i might drop off suddenly and uh, we also have a lot of beautiful man-made stuff. Chicago has, you know, incredible architecture, beautiful things and structures. Yeah. And like, yeah, you know, like my ex-wife had no idea about really what the city is. People have like this preconceived notion of, you know, crime or this or that and, and, and whatnot. There are beautiful parts to Chicago. Uh, there, there, there is. And, um, you know, Chicago is a lot larger than the city of Cleveland. Now, Cleveland, you can't compare the two. Cleveland never made it. Uh, you know, it 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 went the, the way of Detroit way, with, you know, with the uh, abandoned buildings and just the businesses never picked up. And, you know, with the, when the uh, steel mills and everything closed down, it was tough for Cleveland. It, it, was, it, it just was tough. Um, but Chicago, you know, Chicago – you know, they call it the second city. Maybe it'll become the third city. You know, maybe it'll, you know, it's, it's going through a third change. I don't know. Um, but right now, when I'm in the city, I sense, Nico, like a, uh, I'm alive again. I feel I'm around yeah. people. I'm a people person, and I'm so isolated now that I'm, you know, it's difficult for me to function. I, I need to be around people. I, I need to be out laughing and listening to stories and telling jokes and, you know, da-da-da-da-da. Um, this isolation kills me. Even like when you would come out to train here and then a couple times we'd go out for pizza afterwards. You know, that was great. I didn't want it to end, you know, because even though I didn't like where we were at, at for the pizza, because everybody around us are just, you know, not our kind of people, really. They're just, you know, not friendly. I <laughs> like the fact that we were out together, the three of us, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Well, not to get philosophical, but I think the most valuable thing you have in your life is besides probably your health is your relationships, honestly, your friendships, your community. That's the most valuable thing you have. And, uh, you know, we're talking about moving and stuff. And the one thing, uh, you know, like I, I, my, I saw my uncles, they got kind of burned because they, they got kind of tempted to move away really far away from the city because they could get, you could get bigger houses for your money, right? They're like, wow, look what I can buy. You know, it's crazy. But, you know, they isolated themselves. You know, they didn't, you know, people didn't want to drive the hour and a half to go visit them. When they lived down the block, we'd see them a couple times a week, you know, easily. We'd have dinner at their place. Um, but, I mean, that's the, the trade-off. And you got to be asking yourself, is that what I want? But I'm kind of like you, Tony. I'm, 
even though I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm an extrovert. I'm definitely, I thrive around my friends. If I can hang out with a group of my buddies, that's the best time. Honestly, I don't care what we're doing. Honestly, uh, you know, the, the activity is secondary to the people I'm hanging out with, you know, and you know, they they just, that's, that's kind of the, one of the key things of life in, in my opinion. Yeah, that's how I'm, I'm actually very extroverted and I, and I love the people. And like I say, in Chicago, you meet so many different kinds, you know, um, startling, breathtakingly beautiful Polish girls or witty and, and funny and charming Irish guys that'll tell me their stories and just on and on. And it's just, it's an adventure for me. It's, it's just, it's just nice, you know, um, and like food, <laughs> living out here, you know, the choices in food are non-existent. It's poor quality and not a lot of choice. In Chicago or other major cities, you have your choice of what nationality you want to eat or what, you know, specific food do you want tonight. It's, you don't know how much you miss that stuff. You know, yeah. I, moved, I moved to Chicago, guys, when I was 23, and I told people here, when you make a major move like that from one big city to the next and everything is new, um, you'll miss things that you never will take for granted. That you never would think you'd miss. Like I missed my barber. I missed the newscasters at night. I was used to them. I grew up with them. I knew everybody, right? All the newscasters by name. I missed the local television shows, right? You, you, things that you would never think that you would miss. You know, there was this truck that used to drive through the neighborhood, Hot Sauce Williams. You know, that was the name of the restaurant. Barbecue ribs in a truck. Fried chicken in a truck going down your street. I missed that. You know, I missed all that when I moved to Chicago. I, you know, I had to get used to all the new newscasters and this, that, whatever, and all the different stuff and find a barber. 30 years later, I still can't find a barber <laughs> um, that I like out here. But um, seriously. That's clear. Yeah, right. Uh, I just got it cut the other day, too, and I told the new girl, I said, just trim it. Not much. Don't take much off. She, she took it all off. Well, all, all off my hair. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It's just crazy shit. You know, for me, I, I don't want to make that major move again. You know, I don't want to relocate to Florida or Texas or something because, yeah, I'm too old. I'm, I'm just, it's, I'm too old now. You know, uh, moving back to Chicago is not a major move. You know, this is, you know, it's still the same area. But I, I don't want to make another major move like, like you guys are talking about doing. I, I'm not up for that. Well, and that's the other thing. I'm sorry, Nico, I didn't mean to cut you off. But yeah, I think my biggest thing keeping me here is that all my friends are here, you know, and so uh, that would be the biggest loss. You could rent my place, Tony, if you want. About <laughs> yeah, 45 yeah. minutes from the city. There you go. That's about the only, the only bad thing I would think for about my place is there's so many stairs because it's a, like a two story. Mm. I have to come over one day. You have to invite me. Yeah, it'd be it'd be cheaper than where you live, and it's very nice neighborhood, closer to the city. Just invite me over one day when you can. I'll come over. Joe, maybe too. You know, we can. I can pick Joe up, and you know. Yeah, anytime. Make make, make a day out of it, then I'll crash at your house, Joe, on the way back. You know, we I'll just can... say just just be careful, Nico, because once you invite him into your house, he can always come in. <laughs> yeah, you got to watch me. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm telling you. Uh, yeah, you guys got to get back out over here too, man. Come out, sit on the deck. You know, um, well, you know, 
Chicago has changed, though. It's not like Joe said, but even recently, it's accelerated. Again, this has got nothing to do with COVID. Just places that I never thought would be gone. Sabatino's, the Brow House, Old Warsaw. You know, several years ago, Enzo's left, and it's a Walgreens. You know, just places that I thought were going to be here forever. Makes me leery of, you know, the few places that are left. Are they going to shut down on me? Well, that's the trick, too. And to me, that's the big reminders. You have to assume everything, nothing is permanent. You know, like I was like you, Tony, I assumed certain things were always going to be there for me. My favorite restaurants, whatever. You can't make that assumption anymore. I mean, you never should have made that assumption. But no person, no, no institution is permanent. It's going to be there. So take advantage of it. You know, like if you have, you know, a coach that trains you well, now's the time to train with them because they may not be here, you know, or if you have whatever it is, you know, whatever aspect of life, just appreciate it now for what it is and do it. Because, uh, you know, I used to put things off like, oh, I'll get to it after whatever. I've got to take care of such and such a thing. I mean, I did actually did that with you for a while. I trained with you for a while. Yeah. Went back. And I mean, it's a huge regret of mine because I mean, the, I was, I was fortunate enough to be able to come back, but it's different. You know, I mean, it's, a, I missed an opportunity there with the group of guys that we were training with as tough as it was, um, you know, to make that effort. And that's a missed opportunity, you know, and I'm lucky I'm getting somewhat of a second chance to train with you. Uh, but I almost missed that opportunity too, you know, kind of dawned on me when I reached out to you, however many, probably four or five years ago when we start training again, it's like, man, I wonder if he's still teaching even like it just hit me that this window could be closing you know, and you got to jump on these things, whether it's your favorite restaurant, go there, keep it open. Cause you don't know, you don't know if the owner might pass away or change their mind. And gosh, you know, something like, you know, like this asteroid from outer space, COVID, this thing that we had no control over in our lives, just completely changed everything, changed the landscape, you know? So uh, it's, it's kind of a wake up call to do what you can while you can. Yeah. The time is short. Yep. Yeah, that's how I feel. You know, uh, almost oh, so many more, so many important people in my life are gone. You know, um, you know, it's like my chiropractor just died a week ago yesterday. You know, I mean, I didn't even know. I went to meet him, and he doesn't show up. I asked somebody, they're like, he died Saturday. I'm like, oh man. You know, it, you just don't know. Um, yeah, uh, I don't, I don't know. But for me, you know, I, I think if I'm in the city and something does happen to me, you know, as long as I can get to a telephone, I, I have a chance for help. You know, there'll be people around that may be able to help me out, you know, an ambulance or a doctor or a hospital, you know, out here, something like that, you're isolated, you know, you're pretty isolated. And, you know, you got to factor in that I may not be able to drive if something major happens to me or something, you know, um, what, what, what am I going to do, you know? When you're in a city of two million plus people, there's probably more organizations or agencies around that, that can lend a hand when you need it. Believe me, after what I'm going through with my mother, it's a long struggle. I finally got a caregiver for her, but it's just, it's, it's, it's a horrible situation and I'm doing it all on my own. And um, I wouldn't wish this on anybody. It's difficult for her. It's difficult for me. So I have to prepare for when that happens to me, when I become the patient, you know, I, I've got a set in place where if I don't go quickly, you know, death wise, uh, that, that I'm in a situation where I can get help, you know, 
It's hard. Well, feel free to always call Nico if you need help. Anytime. <laughs> yeah, it's long distance. <laughs> All right. Yeah, well, I guess we should wrap this first episode up then, I guess. Uh, yeah. We've been going on for a bit. Um, so, Tony, where can people get your DVDs and get your products? CatchRussell.com. C-A-T-C-H-W-R-E-S-T-L-E.com. Um, training opportunities, distance learning, uh, you know, uh, videos, DVD or DVDs, digital downloads, so you can get them instantly. And, um, you know, you'll learn the real stuff, not sport, not fake pro wrestling stuff, real, real, real deal, you know, um, so, yeah, I want to thank you, Nico, and I want to thank you, Joe, for today. And we'll get back at this, and we'll have our next episode out in a week. Let's hope. For right. sure. Thank you. All right. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Bye. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.